This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. I'm your host this week, Carl Ulrich. I'm Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton, where I teach entrepreneurship innovation as well as product design. I'm very happy to welcome to the show my next guest, Ashley Domkowski, who's co-founder and CEO of Before Brands. Ashley, welcome to Launchpad. Well, thank you so much for having me. Ashley, let me actually first point our listeners to your URL, and I always love dictionary words with no weird punctuation or top-level <laughs> domain. So it's just beforebrands.com, the word before, right. the word brands.com. Nice and simple. That's the way I like it. So congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Ashley, give us the elevator pitch for Before Brands. Yeah, absolutely. So... So Before Brands is the company, but I think the focus really is on Spoonful One, mm-hmm. which also is spelled appropriately. Um, the URL for that is SpoonfulOne.com, with the one is O-N-E. Uh, and Spoonful One is a consumer platform that we recently made commercially available to prevent food allergies from developing. So it is based on intellectual property that we licensed from Stanford University to really find a way to have a consumer product that embraces the idea that if you can um, introduce and then include foods that may commonly become allergenic before they become actual allergens to that immune system, we can keep the body from, um, you know, starting to think that those foods are actually something um, that they should mount an attack to. So it's kind of, um, you know, I think of it as a uh, a consumer-focused company, but grounded in the kind of, you know, great biotech that comes out of not just academia, but, um, you know, out of the Bay Area. Yeah. So I want to, there's a whole bunch of stuff I want to follow up on here, but let's stick with the product for a minute. So I can almost think of this as a vaccine for allergens, allergens in the sense that you're introducing a small quantity and and generating some kind of response to it that that allows the body to further resist. Is that is that a fair analogy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great analogy. I think for regulatory purposes, you know, yeah. the, the title vaccine is a is one that requires a particular regulatory path. So we're we're not in that regulatory category. Mm-hmm. It's just a you know a lawyer, if you will, and me. Yep. Um, but from a mechanism perspective, the idea that you know our immune systems are these um, sensing, learning, um, kind of sentinel and soldier um, you know organs in our bodies, if you will. And they, they need an education. Um, and, you know, a component of an education is really the environmental exposures that that system receives, um, you know, not just at a point in time, but over, you know, at, you know, at early points in time and over extended periods of time. And, in fact, that really is one of the things that, um, you know, that we want to think about when we, when we um, develop this product. Yeah. So I want to, we're going to go into the product in a little more detail, but I got to pause now and ask a question I've always wanted to ask, which is 
what's going on with allergies? Why is it? Mm. I mean, you know, I'm in my mid-50s, and no one was allergic to peanuts when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. What's going on with allergies yeah, or gluten and, and everything else? What's your theory, yeah, or what sure. do we know? What do we know? Well, you're, you know, you're not the only one who's observing this. I mean, um, I'm in my 40s, and, you know, similarly, when I was growing up, we never heard about food allergies the way that we do now. Um, and what's interesting and really tragic is that food allergies have really become a crisis in the United States. So mm-hmm. 15 million adults, and the rate is accelerating rapidly. For certain foods, it's doubling every 10 years. Wow. Um, the risk at this point for children born today is higher than it has ever been. So one in 10 children will develop a food allergy who are born today. And I want to make a specific clarifying point on that, which is to say when um, a condition accelerates that rapidly over the course of, let's say, a generation, it can't happen based on genetics alone. Mm. It has to be something environmental. And all the different things that play in, all those environmental stressors that are playing into the acceleration of risk and the acquisition of more and more people of this, you know, really debilitating disease. Because when I give those statistics, I should emphasize, these are not um, food preferences or picky eating. This is a true, you know, autoreactive immune disease that we're talking about. Um, and so there are a constellation of factors that people think are playing into this. It's kind of, you know, in, in a nutshell, sort of the perils of modern living. Mm-hmm. Now, what is so interesting about this? You know, the United States is not the only country that has seen this massive acceleration in food allergies. Uh, and there was a researcher in uh, the U.K. who uh, observed that um, against this backdrop of substantially increased risk, one of the things that could decrease that risk was the early and then consistent feeding of a particular allergen. In his case, it was peanut Mm -hmm. in the diet. He started infants around, you know, around four months of age in the first year of life, you know, starting as early as four months of age and fed it for five years. And he saw an 80% reduction in the development of a food allergy to that particular food, peanut. So what it, what it says, you know, coming back to your question, is that we're dealing with a new risk paradigm where everyone, in particular this new generation, is at advanced accelerated risk, but this simple dietary modification has been demonstrated, you know, the, the early kind of training with that actual food, early and consistent training, could so substantially reduce the risk was really a big breakthrough in the field. Wow. So so if I understand correctly, then, as infants, right out of the womb, we are not typically allergic. This is something that develops over time. 
Well, you know, absolutes are always always tough. Yeah, to, yeah, to talk okay. About, right, yeah. but but I would say that you know the immune system is um, a developing. Um, it, it's something that develops over time. So I have cat allergies, and mm-hmm. I was not born with a cat allergy. I did develop cat allergies over time, and the immune system similarly, you know, works that way where it can be, um, you know, sensitized and become sensitive and then progress yeah. um, and also become, you know, desensitized um, as well. And that's, you know, there are a lot of, there's a constellation of factors that, that play into that for, for different people. But, but again, coming back, um, I think one thing that often surprises people is that, you know, it isn't, it isn't a purely genetic condition. It's not like a um, a Mendelian genetic condition, mm-hmm. like cystic fibrosis. You think of as, you know, it's carried in a parent, parents, and those, um, you know, genes can be passed on, you know, through the generations. You know, in contrast, people are often surprised when I when I say that if you take a hundred people with a food allergy, um, almost seventy of them had neither parent with a food allergy. Wow. So that means, you know, when you talk with families, it, it is the, the, you know, it's the norm that they'll say, I didn't see this coming. You know, I didn't have food allergies. My partner didn't have food allergies. Yeah. And this is something that now, you know, our child is struggling with and we're trying to figure out how to manage it and really understand what, you know, what happened. And coming back to Spoonful One and the premise of the company, this idea of before is better than after, which is why we called the company before brands, would be that if there were a way that we could get ahead of it and reduce that risk with a consumer product accessible at a population level that's still grounded in this intellectual property insights coming out of this premier you know, academic institution, you know, what kind of an impact could we have on this new generation? If you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. I'm your host, Carl Ulrich. I'm Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton, and I'm speaking with Ashley Domkowski, who's the co-founder and CEO of Before Brands, and their main product is Spoonful One. Okay, Ashley, back to the product, Spoonful One. So what does the product look like? What's in it? And how often and how and when do I take it? Yeah, so so we developed it um, really to fit in the lives of, um, of children starting as early as around four months of age when you start feeding solid foods. Um, but then really as a companion to their diet as they grow. The product currently, the first version, is formulated. It's a stick pack, and so you can just mix it in to any soft food. So it's like diet. a crystal light to, you know, a little, yeah. Yeah, like a drink drink mix or something exactly, like that. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We call it a spoonful one because it's really just one spoonful of yeah. everything you need. And so it contains... Uh, it contains vitamin D, so mm-hmm. the American Academy of Pediatrics recommended daily dose of vitamin D, and then it contains these very carefully um, selected portions, little bits of food proteins from the foods that 
end up being responsible for 90% of food allergies. So it was really uh, constructed to be both um, comprehensive in that way um, and just a meaningful enough exposure that, you know, the immune system kind of sees it, mm-hmm. but also a low enough amount that it could be introduced really safely over, um, you know, into the, into the diet in as broad a population as possible. Now, it's not meant for someone who has a fully developed food allergy. We mm-hmm. want to be super clear about that. But, um, but it was really developed to be this, um, you know, easy-to-use mix-in with that nice protein spectrum representation um, that is a meaningful exposure and, and very safe at the same time. Yeah. Do you... Why did you pick solid food? Could it have been mixed in with formula or breast milk, or is it is there actually an optimal time developmentally yeah. to be introducing it? So some people do mix it in to, um, into breast milk or into formula. Um, I think since you're really starting that around the solid food introduction time, mm-hmm. it works really well in mm-hmm. something like, you know, whether it's rice cereal or oatmeal mm-hmm or a fruit vegetable puree, or, you know, as we have families who have been using it now for, you know, um, a long time, and they, as their children grow to keep it in, they do even more creative things. Like, you know, we have one mom who will take it and mix it into pancake batter and then bake a pancake um, and, you know, give that to her child Mm -hmm. or into a muffin or... Um, you know, uh, a smoothie. Um, we've even had people mix it into things like um, like a taco or yeah. know, meat or yeah. something. Just a way to get all this exposure because, you know, one of the, the key things, whether it's reading every day to your child or, you know, any kind of good healthy habit is it takes, you know, you got to do it and you kind of got to do it over time. Yep. So finding really good creative ways to, to keep with it um, is something that this product format really um, is amenable to. Yeah. How, how long do, do I need to be exposed and at what frequency and, and what does it cost me? Yeah. So, uh, so it's kind of like exercise. You know, I can't um, – exercising for a month is great. Exercising for a longer time is better. Um, and, you know, scientists are still trying to understand if there's a minimal amount of time that you could, let's say, eat peanut to reduce your risk of developing a peanut allergy. The big definitive study that I referenced that researcher had done had, that reduced the risk by 80%. They fed um, peanut protein over five years mm. from, you know, infancy through kindergarten. Um, some people probably didn't need it as long. Some people maybe need it longer. There's really no reason, mm. though, to stop. And I think one of the kind of magic insights these days is that it's about you know time of introduction. It's about length of inclusion. And then the other one is it's really about diversity. So mm. there, there may be just benefits to getting more diversity into our diets, both for that diversification of the kind of education of your your immune system but also because there may be this sort of multiplicity of benefit where there's some kind of crosstalk between these different exposures and that's even more beneficial yeah 
What That's about part, but yeah. um, can, oh. is, are there any benefits in adulthood or is it long too late? So that is a very good question. So some new data has come out recently that has shown that of adults with a food allergy, half have developed it over the age of 18. Mm. So that speaks to the question you asked early on, which is kind of what's what's happening yeah. with the environment. And again, we don't know everything. I, I could give you a list of a dozen things that are contributing but things are disrupting our immune systems even into adulthood and causing those immune systems to become more auto-reactive. Yeah. So that same peanut study I described, mm-hmm. um, that was done in infants. That wasn't done in, you know, 40-year-olds. Um, but, you know, I, I can tell you I take Spoonful One every day. My um, you know, middle school-aged kids take Spoonful One every day as well, so that it's just a simple thing we can do to give our immune systems that little extra, you know, um, uh, understanding that these are just foods. Yeah. So, Ashley, I bet you get it for free. What do I have to pay for it? What What does this cost? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's between uh, $2.50 and $3 a day. Okay. And uh, right now, we have made it available through a online, through our website, uh-huh. com, in month packs that you can have shipped ah. right to your house. Okay. All right. So I, I looked at your LinkedIn, took a look at your bio, and uh, your background is totally obvious. You have a PhD in math. So <laughs> <laughs> how did you get into uh, this? Yeah. And where did this... Yeah. So you mentioned Stanford, but... From PhD to math to co-founder and CEO of 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 uh, Spoonful One, tell me how you got there. Well, so I've spent the past twenty years really in venture and entrepreneurship. My start in math was really as a data scientist and someone who really understood that math was kind of the language of science. Um, immediately after my PhD at Rice, I went uh, into the healthcare field. Mm. And really use that math and that understanding of data um, and, you know, the kind of quant to um, start thinking about how do we use data to drive decision making and, um, and drive science. And my focus um, since then, again, this is, you know, 20 odd years ago, has been um, in taking science and translating it um, into businesses. So, there's this great quote I love. It's the inscription in the rotunda at the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago. And if you haven't been, I highly recommend it. But that inscription says, science unlocks or science uncovers the laws of nature. Industry develops them for the needs of man. Mm. And I feel my career has really been focused on being that second half of mm-hmm. that equation. You know, scientists, at, let's say, Stanford or other academic institutions are doing basic research to unlock some mystery of the scientific world. And I really want to think about how to take that and turn it into something that can help people. And so in my career, I've done a bunch of that. I started by investing in companies and then saw what it, take, what it took to make those successful and so then I transitioned into founding companies, co-founding companies, and really developing those. And 
they were very focused on healthcare, so in cancer, neurodegenerative disease, or rare genetic disorders, things like that. And those companies, you know, turned out really well. So they've all had exits in the, you know, billion, multi-billion dollar kind of, you know, uh, valuation level. But I had this epiphany along the way, which was as much as I called myself a healthcare entrepreneur, was really a sick care entrepreneur. Ah. <laughs> and what I found in the scientific insights that my co-founder developed that are the underpinnings of Spoonful One is that, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to really be a health care protector. And, you know, I have to say that that's, a lesson and an, an insight that I'm I'm really excited um, to be developing in this company. Mm-hmm. So I want to. We just have a couple minutes left, but I want to ask a little bit about financing. You have raised, if Crunchbase is to be de- believed, almost fifty million dollars. That's yeah. a huge amount of money, and especially for you know a powder in an envelope. So so what? Why do you need so much money, and and how are you using it? Well, so a couple of things. So, um, so yeah, we have raised almost $50 million from a really sophisticated set of investors. And I think the, and, and they're amazing, um, they're believers in the vision. And they're also, you know, they have an oar in the water next to us. Mm-hmm. They really want to see this succeed. We're led by a firm called Gurnett Point Capital. Uh, and we have um, an amazing set of of, you know, former pharmaceutical CEOs um, involved with us from uh, Ernesto Bertorelli, who was the CEO of Serono, Chris Viebacher, who was the CEO of Sanofi, very experienced in vaccines, by the way, given mm-hmm. the Sanofi business, um, and uh, a set of other amazing investors um, as well who come out of fields that can be really additive. Ann Wojcicki from 23andMe, Jeff Weiner from LinkedIn, who, you know, helps us think about different um, challenges around growth. But coming back to the size of the opportunity, you know, what we have developed is something that we really believe can reduce the risk that a generation develops a food allergy. And that's a very big idea in the kind of performance nutrition category with intellectual property and differentiation versus, you know, anything else that really has come out there. Um, it's also hard. It's hard to make and make responsibly and well, and we have spared nothing in doing that. We've really invested in making this the best product that we can make it, and, in fact, over-engineering it, based, you know, based on what even the minimums that we need to hit. Um, and we know that we have a real challenge ahead of us too because the the prevention model is one that people sometimes resist. So we need to think really hard about how do we go out and talk? You know, you, you're, I know you're so much into product innovation, right? How do you take a, a great product but then translate that, you know, bridge into, you know, who are the consumers and how do we communicate the value proposition of this amazing product so that they really understand the value in their lives. Yeah. Well, Ashley, 
we're out of time. This is such a fascinating story, and I'm very much looking forward to trying the product and uh, to following your success. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. All right. It's beforebrands.com, and the product is Spoonful One. That just about does it for today's show. If you want to send us a note, we're at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. To follow me, go to my website, ktulrich.com, or follow me on Twitter, ktulrich. I'd like to thank today's guest, Ken Nguyen, founder of Republic, Ail Gura, founder and chairman of Zebra Medical, Jack Coco, CEO and founder of AlphaSense, and once again, Ashley Dombrowski, of co-founder and CEO of Before Brands. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton, and you've been listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.